Hey, good morning. Hey, thanks so much for being here. It is so good to see you guys today. Really excited for what God wants to speak to our hearts uh, individually and corporately today. So you guys just saw we're kicking off a brand new series called Seek Today. After all, everybody in here is seeking something this morning. Maybe this morning you were seeking a cup of coffee and thank God that was there, right? And uh, maybe you were just, maybe you're seeking 70 degree temperatures. I can't guarantee those, but 60 degree temps are on their way later this week. Everybody's seeking something, man. Like, you know, people are seeking peace, people are seeking pleasure, people are seeking comfort, and uh, man, we're seeking those things in relation to politics and whatnot. That's kind of a hot button deal right now. But we're all seeking something, and we're looking for those things in different places. And what I want to let you know is that if you're seeking for life in anything other than Jesus, you're not going to find it in any other place than Jesus. And that's what this whole series is about. A lot of what we're going to talk about during this series came from time and sabbatical, and uh, so it's, it's kind of built around that, and just excited to share what God shared with me, and uh, just so grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to be able to kick that whole deal off. Uh, I get to share a Jesus conversation with you guys today that I've been so excited about talking about, and um, just praying that the Holy Spirit uses it today, and uh, it is... It ended up being so timely for where we find ourselves in the season of life that we find ourselves in. Uh, this past summer, you know, I was gone for a few months and we logged in a lot of time by the pool. It was so much fun. We were in Ohio with our Shaney's family before we went to Michigan. And when we were in Ohio, we just spent a lot of time poolside. And about the fourth day in, poolside, the owner of the pool just starts talking about what's on, on his mind, which is great. And before long, the conversation turned political. Has anybody had a political conversation over the past few days? I mean, is politics on anybody's radar? Does anybody even care? He cared. And I bet you care too. And really, I could sum up the conversation this way. He started talking about well, I sure hope so-and-so wins because a win for so-and-so is a win for me. And really what they were saying is the life that I'm seeking, the peace that I'm looking for is gonna be secured through a political party for this person. And doesn't our whole country feel that way right now? Like our whole, like if we were just, if we were doing a series for our whole country and we were asking our whole country, what is it that you seek? I bet this is gonna make the top 10 things. Like people are seeking a political victory for their party because the life that they think it's gonna give them, the life they think it's gonna bring is found in this victory. And they're saying things like a victory for this guy on the left. That's a victory for me. That's what I'm looking for, because there's peace found there. Or there's a group of people saying a victory for the guy on the right. That's a victory for me, and that's where life's found. That's where peace is. And I just want to remind you, everybody is seeking something. Everybody is. We're all seeking something politically, too, if we're being honest. We all have our own ideas. I just want to remind all of us this morning that life, the life you seek, is found in one place, Jesus. And today we're going to look at his approach 
to politics in hopes that the Spirit of God would open up our hearts and minds and that we would be able to see this political cycle for what it is. An awesome opportunity to talk about the kingdom. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would help all of us this morning in relation to politics keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to frame up politics just just a little bit for you, regardless of what party you're affiliated with or what side of the aisle you would find your find yourself on. Politics is actually God's idea. And I love it. And that's that's why Jesus never really got caught up in the in the winds there. And that's why he never spoke out against Caesar. In fact, because he knew that all politicians serve for a time as a time ordained for them by God. And that God, regardless of who is in power politically, is going to accomplish his purposes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can accomplish his purposes regardless of who is in authority? I do. And if you believe that, then it's going to be easier for for us to keep our eyes on the kingdom. But I just want to share a passage of scripture with you uh, before we get to this. It's just found in Romans chapter 13, 1 and 2. And it just simply says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Man, if we believe this, and we should, but if we believe this, then we're going to be okay regardless of who has power, and we're going to be able to, political power, and we're going to be able to keep our eyes on Jesus. And speaking of Jesus in relation to this, this reminds me of that moment where Jesus was before Pilate, moments before Pilate handed down the death sentence to Jesus. Pilate turns to Jesus and he looks at him and he says, hey, aren't you gonna say something? Because don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or set you free? And this was Jesus' response. Jesus simply responded to Pilate with, there's been no authority given to you except what God has established before, before you. See, Jesus knew the truth of Paul's words that he was saying. And so no authority has been given except that which has been established by God. But he does go on to say, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, consequently whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has put in place. In about nine days, 50%, if not more, of our country, maybe even side of our church, is going to be disenfranchised one way or another with the outcome of the election. And what I want us to understand here, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling what God has allowed to happen. We need to be mindful of that. May the Spirit of God help us see through his eyes and that we might keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. I wanted to just bring some fun history, talk politics, and we're going to talk about kingdom values. But here's just cool history in the United States of voting. We live in the greatest country that we get to vote. And if we don't like the outcome, we get to vote in four years, okay? Or you get to vote in two years. So you don't like how it turns out, hey, in four years. But check this out. 1776, only land-owning white guys could vote. In 1856, votes were granted to all white men. In 1868, 14th Amendment grants African-American citizenship, but not the right to vote. 
1870, 15th Amendment prevents federal or state governments from denying the the right to vote to citizens based on race. 1890, come on, let's hear that one, becomes the first U.S. state to grant women the right to vote. 19, yeah, yeah. Do we not live in a great state? Just saying. All right, 1920. I could totally go squirrel on you right now, but I'm not going to. 19th Amendment grants suffrage to women, but not all Native American and Asian women have citizenship. 1924, Indian Citizenship Act is passed, giving Native Americans full citizenship, but many states still disenfranchise with them at the polls. 1961, 23rd Amendment gives the people in Washington, D.C., the residents there, the right to vote for presidents, but not congressional representation. And in 1971, voting age is lowered from 21 to 18 in light of the Vietnam War to ensure that those old enough to fight could vote. We live in the greatest country in the world where we get to vote for our elected officials. And as followers of Jesus, that comes with a responsibility. And what I know when it comes to the election cycle in voting is I know that every election is really important. And I know that all of us in here, to some degree or another, feel like this is the most significant election of our lifetime. But I want to be really clear. There is nobody who has handled kingdom and politics better than Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look to him on how we should live our lives during this time. I know that we think the political climate has never been more adverse than what it is right now, but that's simply not true. If you look at the day and age where Jesus was ministering, wow, you wanna talk about a politically oppressive climate. You see, Jesus was living in a time and he was bringing in the kingdom of God during a time where there was a, a political party known as zealots. Zealots absolutely hated Rome and they wanted nothing more than to overthrow the Roman government. That's how they, they spent their their waking moments, dreaming about how to overthrow Rome. And then you had another political party that functioned more like a religious party, but yet that religious party, what I meant to say, is functioned more like a political party. It was the religious leaders. And they exercised religion and worship as a way to exert their power and hold on to their little kingdom. And last but not least of these political uh, titans was the government of Rome. And Rome ruled all conquered nations, of which uh, Israel was one of them, under this one law. It was called the Pax Romana Law. And Rome said, you've been conquered, you shall live at peace with us as long as you don't badmouth Caesar and as long as you don't try to rebel against Rome. Doesn't sound like freedom to me. But those were the three political titans of the day, and at least two of the three, Rome was not one of them, two of the three were interested in Jesus. You see, you had the zealots. They were interested in Jesus because they believed the Messiah was going to overthrow Rome, and that's what they were looking for. Even within Jesus' inner circle, we find a religious zealot. His name was Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. In fact, many theologians and historians alike believe the reason that Judas betrayed Jesus was politically motivated. 
He was trying to force, the belief is that Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand saying, okay, if I can get you in hot water with Rome, then maybe you'll finally overthrow them and do what I think you ought to do. Judas just had no idea about the kingdom of God and what Jesus was trying to accomplish. And then you had the religious leaders. The religious leaders were curious about Jesus. They saw the miracles that he did. They heard the teachings and it sounded good and it sounded godly. But Jesus just spoke of this intimacy with the Father that they were unfamiliar with, this knowledge and understanding of the Father that they were unfamiliar, and they felt more than anything threatened by him. And so they didn't like his teachings and what he was trying to accomplish, and they wanted to overthrow him. So on one certain occasion, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me, uh, to Mark chapter 12. They, being the Pharisees, came to Jesus and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? I don't know how you've ever viewed this encounter, if you've ever paid much, uh, much attention to this encounter, but this is a political question. This is Jesus encountering politics. And it is, it is, it is designed to put Jesus in hot water. Because you've probably, or maybe, maybe you've heard the phrase, an enemy of my enemy is actually my friend. Rome is no friend of Israel. And Jesus is no friend of the religious leaders. And what the religious leaders are trying to do with this question is to create an enemy of Jesus in the eyes of Rome. Because if they can get Jesus to say, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, he has just rebelled against Caesar. Rome would come in and they would kill him for his political views, his uprising. Rome would do their dirty work. They are trying to turn Jesus into an enemy of Rome so that Rome does their dirty work. But if Jesus answers, yeah, he should pay, then all of a sudden Jesus is no longer affiliated with the zealots. And the zealots over there, those who may have been going along with him are gonna turn on Jesus. It is a political question designed to be lose-lose. So how does Jesus respond to this political environment? How does he respond to this politically motivated question? This is how he responds. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. And he said, why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring me a denarius. And I believe we've got a picture of a denarius right here. Whose inscription do you think that is? That's Caesar's. Whose image is it? It's Caesar's. Everybody around that conversation knew that. Some 2,000 years later, we know that. So he says, bring this to me, and he asked them to answer the same question. Whose inscription is it? They said, Caesar's. Well, whose who's image, Caesar's? So then Jesus just said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give God's what is God. Give God what is his. And they were absolutely amazed at him. Here's what I was telling you. Jesus answered their question directly. He says, if it belongs to Caesar, give to Caesar what is his. 
for God has instituted some authority and power. And I don't need a political party in power or on my side to bring in the kingdom. And he very clearly answered the question, you give to God what is God's. What God wants is he wants our participation in his kingdom. He wants our lives. He wants us to understand who he is. He wants us to understand, he wants us to understand God's love for us and for us to participate in that love, to participate in the kingdom. Jesus had the mindset, bring the kingdom of God so that people can participate in it. Jesus had the mindset, usher in the kingdom of God. It is always about the kingdom. I have come to accomplish God's plans so that God's promise to Abraham might be fulfilled that in Genesis 22, where 18, where God says, all nations will be blessed through your descendants, Abraham. It was in reference to Jesus. Jesus was always about the kingdom. And Jesus didn't need a political party in power, a certain political party, to accomplish bringing in the kingdom. In fact, he used political conversations and he turned them into kingdom-minded conversations because Jesus always wanted to talk and bring about God's love. He always wanted to bring the kingdom. Now, the best definition of the kingdom that I've ever heard is simply this. It is this. The kingdom is anywhere the rule and reign of God exists. Let me frame it up a different way for you. Anywhere the will of God is done, the kingdom of God reigns. And that happens inside of us. Anywhere the rule and reign of God exists, that's where the kingdom of God exists. And Jesus wanted the, the rule of God, the love of God to reign in all human hearts. And it was to that end that he brought the kingdom. This morning, it is imperative as followers of Jesus Christ that we are known for our kingdom efforts, that we are known for who we love and how we love more than how we vote. And as a church, that's how we're gonna handle this thing. As a church, we believe, I believe, and how we're going to respond and how we're going to live is under the belief that God is good and that God is God and that he is not tied to any politician whatsoever. And that regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, as followers of Jesus, we still have work to do, which is to usher in the kingdom of God. If you look at countries like India this morning, India is politically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet minute by minute, the kingdom of God is growing second by second. Why is that? Because the followers there aren't concerned with who's in power. They're keeping their eyes on the kingdom of God like Jesus did, and they're bringing the kingdom wherever they go. In China today, the underground church is taking new ground even as we sit and as we gather how does that happen? Because they're not concerned the most with the Communist Party in power. 
They are most focused on the God who sits on the throne, who so lavishly poured his love upon us, and they are keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, and they said, if I have an opportunity to talk about something, I'm going to talk about that. Because life isn't going to be found in this power change like you think, but life will be found if the kingdom of God comes into a life because somebody will step from death to life. They're focused on the kingdom, even in the Middle East today. You see it happening in Israel. You see it happening in Lebanon. You see it happening in the region where people are are moving off from their faith in, in Allah, their Muslim faith, and they're turning to Jesus. How is that happening? because the believers have the same mindset as Jesus and said, I'm not going to get bogged down in these weeds. I'm just going to leverage this time to talk about the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a couple personal questions this morning. Question number one, are you better known for your political affiliation or for your relationship with Jesus? It will tell us a whole lot about where your mindset is. Don't try to justify your actions. It's a simple question. How are you best known? Has your political views compromised or ruined your testimony during this election cycle? It's not a hard question to answer. It's either yes or it's no. And it'll tell us a lot about where our focus is and what we're seeking and where we're seeking. Lastly, over the past six days, have I had more political conversations and or Jesus conversations? So let me take you back to the pool. My buddy starts talking about politics. And the Jesus conversation is simply this. It's seizing an opportunity that the Spirit of God opens to share, care, or pray in Jesus' name. And as my friend began to talk about politics, it, the only way I know to describe it, you guys, is that I could see the kingdom of God was opening a door to talk about his kingdom. The problem is, is I didn't know if I had the guts to talk about Jesus in that moment or not. It wasn't that he was an angry person or adverse to, to Jesus. It's just, he didn't really talk about Jesus with this guy. My in-laws live next to him. They don't really talk about Jesus. Not because they don't love him. It's just like... I don't know if I can go there. And I'm telling you, for three seconds, I was locked up. But my prayer had been, Lord, use my life. Use my life. That's a prayer I try to pray every day. Lord, use my life. And here was an opportunity that I clearly knew. I could feel it in my spirit that God had opened this door. And so I just said, hey, can we talk about deeper things than just politics? He said, Sure. And I paraphrase a long conversation. I said, God has seen kingdoms rise and he's seen kingdoms fall. And he's seen leaders come and he's seen leaders go. But the kingdom of God is eternal and it lasts forever. And he wants you to be a part of it. And he said, that's more than I could handle. And I said, could we go just a little bit further? He said, yeah. And in that moment, I got to talk to him about a God who made him, who loved him, loves him, but that a sin condition that exists in all of us separates us from the love of the Father. And that God loved us so much, he gave his, he sacrificed himself. What kind of God would do that? Sacrifice himself so that we could know how good the love of the Father is. And on that day, what I remember about that conversation is it started off political but it ended up kingdom. 
What I would love to tell you is that he gave his life to Jesus when in fact he didn't. He just finished with, I'm just trying to be the best person that I can be. So this morning I'm asking you, can you pray for my friend John by name? Because the kingdom would be a lot better within it. He's one of the coolest dudes you've ever met. And he'd let you swim in his pool too during the summer. The reason I tell you that story is that over the next nine days, there's gonna be countless opportunities to talk about politics. And that's how everybody sees it. But the kingdom of God is like, no, that's just a platform for you to talk about Jesus and how much God loves that person who talks. And it is a great moment, church, to reinforce the idea that regardless of what happens in nine days, God is still God. God is still good. And the kingdom is not in jeopardy. There is no political affiliation. But oh my lands, what an opportunity for work to do. A work to be done. There's still work to do. Share Jesus. Use this season to have Jesus conversations. It's a great season because people are scared to death. What did Jesus say more than anything? Fear not. Fear not. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers, the principalities of this dark world. So we're going to fight. We're going to fight our battles by standing firm on our faith. We're going to stand firm in Jesus Christ, and we're going to pray. Here's how we're going to pray. Is Paul directed Timothy to lead the church to pray. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It starts, I believe, in verses. It might, back, might actually be 1, but if we could throw that out, up, because I could butcher that very easily. It simply says this. I urge you then, first of all, through petitions, prayers, and intercession made, and thanksgiving be made for all people, to pray for kings and authorities that are over you that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Church, keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on the kingdom. And if things don't turn out the way you want it, Be a praying people that God would accomplish his will and his purposes through them. So if you know these words, if you know this prayer, please say it out loud with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I can get down with that. All God's people said, amen.